Okay, to start out this morning, I want each of us to think of the first time we did something that terrified us, to even think about doing. And it was worse because we knew we were going to do it. We had time to think about it. And we, it was scaring us and we knew it. I want you to think about the first time that happened. Could have been jumping off a high dive. Or for some, jumping out of a plane. Anybody here ever skydived? See, we got at least one. Maybe it was just flying in a plane or giving a speech. Whatever it was, I want you to think about that for a moment and then we can open this up. You can actually speak out loud and tell me this, but how did you get through it? What got you through that event? Anybody? Well, but, but how did you, so getting on the boat was scary. How did you, how did you do it? It was, was it, was it smoldering? Okay. We're having a little trouble with, Jesus is determining his presence with us. It's like, he's kind of working it out. I've got to dig out the wick at some point. But anyway, others, what helped you get through and do this thing that scared you? I honestly don't know what helped me. It was the high dive. It's funny you said that first. (laughs) Um, I was a kid. I didn't like getting my nose in the water or anything, and I don't know how I did it or why I did it. And then I couldn't get enough of jumping off the high <laughs> for a couple of years. But then I was like, no, we're done with that. But I, I, I think it's troubling me. I don't know yeah. how I did it. I think I just said, okay, I have to do this. Well, oh, yeah, go ahead. Praying before. Pardon? Praying before. <laughs> Praying before. I think uh, to get through something that scares us, most of us need or at least is very helpful to have two things. One is to have someone that we know knows what they are doing, someone we trust to guide us through it. If we have somebody who tells us They know what to expect. This is what's going to happen. This is what you do. And this is somebody that we trust. And so we think, okay, that's helpful. Another thing that can be extremely helpful is someone who loves us. We know they love us, who tells us it's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. Uh, Someone we know especially if they've had that experience. We know they've had the same experience. Um, And we probably needed to be reassured more than once. And whether it was us even in our own heads saying, I can do this, I can do this. It's very rare that we just are presented with something that's totally scary and we just do it. Usually we need a lot of reassurance. We need a lot of guidance from somebody that we trust, or many people that we trust and care, and we know love us. 
This is a bit of the dynamic that is at work in our story for this morning. This scene has actually been very perplexing for readers and for scholars for centuries because it's almost identical to an earlier scene in Exodus. The first time that God confronts Moses with this idea that he wants him to speak to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh that the people need to go. Pharaoh needs to let them go. It's almost identical to the scene in Sinai, in the Sinai Desert, when this is first presented to Moses. It's almost like it's just repeated again. Now, there are a few subtle but significant differences. But even if there weren't, when we think about it a bit more, it may be that Moses is just like us and simply needs some reassurance. The need for reassurance for Moses seems all the more likely when we fill in the story between where we left Moses last week and where we find Moses this week. When we left Moses last week, he had just had that encounter with God where God had um, very much inspired him with courage because God had reassured Moses that Moses could trust God's promises because of who Moses knew God was. God had been El Shaddai to the ancestors, to Moses' ancestors, particularly to the childless couple, Abraham and Sarah. El Shaddai promised that he would make this childless couple into a, a nation, a great nation of people. From their offspring, the Israelites. And God was saying to Moses, you can trust me because, look, I fulfilled that promise. You know that. And then God told Moses that God as Yahweh would lead Israel out of slavery and into the promised land, that Moses could trust God as Yahweh the same way that his ancestors trusted God as El Shaddai. Moses is so inspired after this encounter with God that he immediately went, this, we, we didn't see this part, we left him at that inspiration, he immediately went from that encounter with God to share this new enthusiasm with the rest of God's people, but they didn't share his enthusiasm. Uh, I will read that part from six, chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. Moses reported all of this that God had told him to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage, because of their distressed hearts is essentially what's happened. They didn't listen. Uh, and then the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of this country. And then we're right back to where we started because Moses responds, if the Israelites won't listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips. Does that sound familiar? We hear it again this morning. That was 
something that happened just after his previous encounter with God. And most of us will remember that was one of his first original excuses in the desert in Sinai. Both in that section that I just read and this morning in verse 30, Moses goes back to this same excuse that he's used before of why he shouldn't be the one to give the message to Pharaoh. And again, from our story this morning, Moses said, since I speak with faltering lips, why should Pharaoh listen to me? Since he literally says, since I I speak with uncircumcised lips, why should Pharaoh listen to me? Peter ends, uh, provides an insightful um, note on this for us. He writes that Moses is demoralized. He's demoralized and needs a bit of encouragement. By reminding Moses of his experience at Sinai, God is assuring Moses that nothing has changed. It might seem needlessly repetitive to us, but if we put ourselves into the story and try to see things from Moses' point of view, we can appreciate how hearing it all again might be the shot in the arm he needs. And sort of quotes God as saying, I remember what I said, Moses. I remember the promise I made. I also remember what I have called you to do. And it will all work out in the end. Moses's lame excuse that he is a poor speaker is also hardly a mindless repetition. Moses is not a happy camper. And who can blame him? He has a good point. But God takes Moses' protest in stride. This isn't the time to beat a man who is down even further. Far from doing that, God again reassures Moses of all that will happen and that it will all work out. In verse 1, of our story this morning, he says, look, behold, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. And the NIV actually weakens it. He doesn't say, I will make you like God to Pharaoh. It literally says, God says to Moses, I will make you God to Pharaoh. It's an incredibly powerful statement. Terence Freedom writes about this. God had earlier said that Moses would be as God to Aram in speaking with God's people. Here, Moses is to be God to Pharaoh, and Aaron would be his prophet. The point is similar, but the emphasis is quite different. Here, Moses' relationship to Pharaoh is highlighted. Moses stands in authority above Pharaoh. His word to Pharaoh is the word of God. But even more, all that he is in word and deed will be God embodied before Pharaoh. Especially to be noted is how God gives up soul rights to the word God, to the title God, giving it to one who is not God. This is a striking form of divine self-effacement in which the achievement of the divine purpose is allowed to be clothed in human form. 
God deigns to be embodied in Moses before Pharaoh. In and through what Moses says and does in what follows, God himself is present and active. In Moses, God's work will be done. God then reiterates what is to be done, and he lets, know, he lets Moses know that it will look bad for a while, but that God will come through. Again, you are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to, tell, to let the Israelites go out of this country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. This again brings up this issue, very difficult issue, of God hardening Pharaoh's heart versus Pharaoh's own will to be and to do. We'll look at this more very soon, especially during the plagues and the, the final plague. But for now, I want to share an observation that uh, Terence, I read from Terence Freedom that I found really helpful on this. He notes that God's relationship with Moses should be related to this issue. God is clearly not in absolute control of Moses. For all God's powers, Moses is not easily persuaded to take up this calling. In fact, God resorts to a backup plan in providing Aaron to stand with him. Again, think about how many times Moses has said, no, I don't want to do this. And God doesn't force Moses to do it. God relates to Moses in such a way that his will is not overpowered. There is no reason for them, it goes on to say, there's no reason to deny that this is God's way with people more generally. And he also goes on to say that Pharaoh particularly is guilty of violating God's order in a massive way. Hence, we ought not simply conclude that God's ways with Pharaoh can readily be transferred to others. Yet, even though Pharaoh is an embodiment of the forces of chaos, he remains a human being whose own will contributes to shaping his future. The other difference that we should note about what God says to reassure Moses this time is another subtle one, but extremely significant. In verse 5, he says, um, he will not listen to you, and, and then I will bring this, these mighty acts of judgment, uh, and I will bring out my people. And, verse 5, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt. The difference here is that the first time God said to Moses, then the Israelites, my people will know, my people will know that I am God. Here, he says the Egyptians will know that I am God. Again, uh, Freethime is, is helpful on this point. He says the Egyptians not just the Israelites will come to know that Yahweh is God, 
the cosmic scope of these events will receive attention throughout. This knowing is related to two aspects of these events. God's act of judgment against Egypt and God's liberation of Israel. While the focus of the Exodus is on the deliverance of Israel, its public character witnesses to God's creational purposes for the entire world. Israel's liberation moves toward the fulfillment of God's purposes in creation. God's activity on behalf of Israel is for the sake of the world. The concern stretches far beyond this historical moment for Israel. The future of creation is at stake. So, in a sense, God reassures Moses almost identically to the way he first assured Moses that it was going to be okay. But if anything, God intensifies it a little bit more because now the focus is as much on Pharaoh and Egypt. So one of the other commentators brings up a good question, considering that God even intensifies the call to Moses here, what gave him the courage to finally do it? Because we hear that at the end, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. And we'll see that in in action in the weeks ahead. So why? What What changed for Moses? I believe that it's because God has reassured him so many times. (laughs) He's, He's balked at this calling several times that we know of, that we've we've read about. You gotta figure that there were probably plenty of times that he he balked at it that we don't even know about. And each and every time. God has met those worries with words of reassurance. All those words of encouragement must have finally reached Moses' heart. And the wild thing is, the essential message stayed the exact same throughout. I'm God. I'll be with you the whole time. It's my power that will make it happen. Now, again, God changed even the original plan a little bit. I said, okay, why don't you bring Aaron along, if that'll make you feel better. But the same, the essential message was the same. I'm God, I'll be with you the whole time, it'll all work out because of my power. The important point for us this morning, I think, is that Moses had to hear it more than one time. Moses had to hear it numerous times. And I think our lives with God, in our lives with God, we need to hear the same things over and over again. It can be really difficult to live the life that God calls us to live as followers of Christ. Most of what God would have us be and say and do is not the type of stuff that is generally rewarded by our society. Caring for others as much as ourselves. Embracing the unloved. Working for justice and freedom for the oppressed, the outcast, the overlooked. That's generally not a path to success 
in this world. In fact, it got Jesus killed. Most of all of us need reassurance from God constantly to keep going. So we gather here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to hear this encouragement from God. You are loved now just as you are. God has always loved you and always will. Jesus is present with us every moment of every day. His spirit abides within us, guides us, and strengthens us. And one day, God will set everything right for all human beings and all of creation. This is the truth. And God reassures us every time we make ourselves available to listen. A lot of people ask me, after over 26 years of preaching, how do you come up with anything new to say? Especially at Christmas and Easter, it's the same story. Every year. The truth is, I don't come up with anything new to say. No Christian pastor has come up with anything new to say in 2,000 years. And if they have, they aren't Christian pastor, a Christian pastor anymore. We don't need to hear anything new. We need to be reassured over and over again of what is so easy to forget or to ignore. We are loved here, now, just as we are. God has always loved us. God will always love us. Jesus is present with us in every moment of every day. His spirit abides within us, guides us and strengthens us. And one day, God will set everything right for all human beings and all of creation. Like Moses, God wants us to live courageously into our calling. And so, like Moses, God reassures us over and over again. God is with us, and God will set all things right in the end. Thanks be to God.